Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. You want to take out your Bibles, we're going to Acts chapter 5. We're going to see a passage of Scripture that is amazing. And, and it's one of the things, two things you can do with a passage like this. You can look at it and say, wow, isn't that cool? Um, they sure had a lot of power. Uh, and, and consider it sort of a, a, an unusual event. You know, God was doing something like that way back then, and that's cool. Uh, but that we really should not reasonably in any form expect something like this today. Uh, but it was, it's historical, it's interesting, isn't it nice? So you can either put it on that kind of pedestal, you might say, or you can look at it as a model. And, and what I want to suggest to you, and, and, this, and, and this, is, this is an uncomfortable sermon in a sense. I'll be as nice as I know how because there's nothing to do with anything. But I, I will tell you, I had a line of people frustrated with me yesterday. So... It, it, we'll start over there, and and um, and and I understand it. Believe me, I am not. I don't mean to be lighthearted about this, uh, because it's whenever you bring up the subject of healing and miracles, it stirs all of us who have prayed for people and had them die. You know, prayers apparently not answered. We all live with that, and believe me, I would stand first in line. I have seen incredible miracles, and I have had people I loved. People I have gone, I have done everything in my power to pray for for healing and have them die. Not without grace, not without the intervention of God, ever. But they died. And so, it's so easy in those kinds of situations to, to, to take this personally. To be hurt, to be angry, to be defensive. And so I even know... If I bring up the subject of healing, I'm going to stir things. And yet, I, I feel like here it is. And so, do I skip it because it is a painful subject? Or do I go ahead and let it speak to us and, and try to, to hear it as honestly and reasonably as possible? And to say, what is it we're seeing here? That's what I've chosen to do. And uh, I just pray, Lord, would you open your word? Would you give us grace? Would you give me the grace to speak this accurately? And Lord, just keep my flesh out of it. And may your word come through to all of us, giving us hope and encouragement, opening our eyes to new possibilities, stretching us, Lord. We are not opposed to having you stretch us to reach farther, to reach for more. Uh, Lord, we're not trying to tempt you or push you. We're not demanding. We are trying to let you do in us and make us all that you want us to be. And may your word, that two-edged sword, have its work today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I'll start at verse 12. I'll go down to verse 16 of Acts chapter 5. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. Remember, Solomon's portico is a, a great roofed structure. I, I understand there's actually where a thousand columns in this thing. Uh, and it's on the south end of the court of the Gentiles, and it's a covered area. So in that hot climate with all the sun, that's where 
gatherings were held out of the sun. And so they're meeting in this big covered area, but none of the rest uh, dared to associate with them. In other words, lots of people were intimidated by them and walked the other side of the temple court. <laughs> uh, so you have a huge crowd gathering, and then you have other people uh, really nervous about the whole thing. However, the people held them. In other words, generally, the attitude in Jerusalem and, and all was they held them in high esteem. They, they respected what was going on. It just scared them. And the, all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. You have an enormous amount of, of growth. To such an extent that even, they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. Would you say all being healed? That's the most troubling phrase in the whole passage right there, isn't it? I mean, it, it, all right, let's just face it, it is. All right, now would you turn to your discussion guide? What an amazing level of power we're seeing at work here. Luke does say that it was at the hands of the apostles that these miracles were done, which seems to mean that most believers were not yet functioning at this high level. Even among the apostles, Peter seems to be exceptional. If we remember that he was the disciple who had the courage to try and fail and give wrong answers, we shouldn't be surprised that he's now the one who can most authentically do what Jesus did. You see what I'm saying? We, we, make, we take Peter and we, we make fun of him a lot. We, we, you know, here he goes, getting out of the boat and blunk down, he sinks. And, and we, 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 we realize we wouldn't have done that. We would have walked. And, and then we, he gives the wrong answer, you know. He opens his mouth and just says, says the wrong thing. And, and he's, he is fun to kind of laugh at. But can I point out something? This man was totally engaged in the discipling process. He was totally engaged in learning. He was not afraid to make a mistake, which may I say is essential. <laughs> if you and I aren't willing to step out of the boat and sink, we'll never learn to walk on water. If we aren't willing to give wrong answers, we'll never get the right ones. There is a, is a courage. I would say the word really is humility. There's a profound humility in someone who's an aggressive learner. And they make mistakes and they do dumb things. And they also end up being the one who really can do this stuff, and it's Peter. Yet this level of power wasn't just an apostolic gift. They were able to teach others and pass this ministry on to another generation who functioned just as powerfully as they did. I want you to see that fact. It, you can't just say, oh, well, this is Jesus' apostles, and, and, and when they died, it went with them. No, no. They were able to teach other people to do this, and they did it too. I want to show you two of them, Stephen and Philip. Look at, at, with me for a minute at Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Just real briefly, but I want you to see what I, why I can say that. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. And Stephen, he's, he's now, uh, these are one of the, uh, the uh, um, deacons that they appointed. These are all Greek names. Uh, these are, they are, are, are people that were chosen out of the 
the group, Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. See it? That's all I'll say about him. He's doing the same things. Now go to chapter 8 and start there at verse 4, and we'll see Philip. This is not Philip the, the apostle. This is Philip the evangelist. He is, he is one of the deacons, and he, he is an evangelist. Uh, it says, And therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and began proclaiming Christ to them. And the crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. And it actually goes on and talks about more. Now back. So the apostles, you see my point, the apostles were able to not only minister this way, but they were able to transfer this so that another generation was able to do it as well. You see? Is it realistic for us to expect to have such power today? Well, we already do. It's just not as widespread or consistent. Here, we're, oh, pardon me, we're seeing miracles now on a level with those we see there. I mean, I don't think you get much better than healing stage four uh, ovarian cancer. And, and that is, we've seen that. I mean, and, and so, yes, we have it now. It's just not as widespread. But we still see far too many go away unhealed. In many cases, there's, a par there's partial relief. In others, there's the beginning of gradual improvement. So it's not that we have today none of the Spirit's power. It's that we don't have enough, often enough. The whole city, as well as the surrounding region, were stirred by what was happening. Luke says, multitudes of believing ones. I love that phrase. Both men and women were added to the Lord, is what he says. They were added to the Lord. And faith in the healing power of Jesus was exploding. This, the same circumstances which surrounded Jesus' ministry, people desperately trying to get near him, were now being repeated with the apostles. The numbers of those being brought for prayer grew so large, it became impossible to pray for each one individually. So people strategically placed their loved ones along the route Peter walked each day on his way to and from the temple. In some cases... They must have waited many hours because some even brought small beds or cots for their sick to lie on. They patiently lined the streets, hoping for a prayer, the touch of a hand, or even the being close enough for Peter's shadow to serve as a substitute for his hand being laid on them. Apparently, Peter was walking in the Spirit so strongly that the power was emanating from him. Remember, none of this was new to these apostles. They often watched Jesus minister under these same conditions. Look at, with me at one scripture. This is not new. They have done this before. Mark chapter 6. I give you a whole list of passages, but we'll just do this one. Mark 6. Starting at verse 53. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret... 
and moored to the shore. Now, this is the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee, that lake. And when they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him and ran about that whole country and began to carry here and there on their pallets those who were sick and to the place they heard he was. Wherever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring him that he might just touch, they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. And as many as touched it were being cured. This is not a new, new event. The, the apostles and many of the others there who have traveled with him the whole time have lived this, seen this, watched this. It's simply happening again. And now, with Jesus ascended the power on, on them, they are now doing what he did. Imagine that. He said something about that, didn't he? The picture Luke gives us of people waiting in the street outside the temple is exciting in that it reveals a growing level of faith. But it also shows us the overwhelming size of the crowds. It can only mean that the gathering in the court of Gentiles had swelled to a size where there was no longer any reasonable expectation of waiting in line for prayer. And the fact that Peter couldn't stop to pray for each person placed on the side of the street tells us how many must have lined his path. There were simply too many for him to stop and give personal attention. Of course, the report of these events went out from, the, from Jerusalem to the surrounding region, which resulted in a multitude pouring in from other cities. They too brought their sick and those tormented by unclean spirits, swelling the size of the crowds even further. And then Luke makes a brief statement we must not overlook. He says concerning this massive amount of needy people, they were all healed. In making that statement, he carefully selected an unused word for all. The, the, the Greek word there is hapas, which is a strengthened form of the normal word for all, pas. But you very seldom see the thing. It's there, but it isn't common. I mean, and this, remember who Luke is. He's a native-born Greek speaker. Probably from Philippi, that's where they guess. He's a, he's a physician. He's got a vocabulary a mile long. Trust me. He uses old Greek. He uses new Greek. He uses Greek like a, like, a, like, a, like a scalpel. He is so precise. So when he goes out and finds the word that means absolutely everyone and sticks it in there, that's what he meant. You can decide whether we agree with it. I mean, we believe it. I, I do. An unusual word for hapas, which is the strengthened form of the normal word all or pas. Luke is literally saying everyone was healed. No wonder the crowds were huge. No wonder the religious authorities felt they could wait no longer to stop this mass movement toward Jesus. Before I talk about healing, I want to talk about faith and power. There are undoubtedly people sitting in front of me or listening to that I have, that, pardon me, that have done everything they know to do to receive healing for themselves or for others they love. And the healing did not or has not come. For them, I would say us, because I would include myself, this is a very painful subject. Anyone want to agree to that? It is, isn't it? When we talk about healing, the emphasis always seems to be placed on an individual's faith particularly the faith of the person who's ill. 
they're told they must have faith to be healed. And yes, there are passages that challenge us to believe. But what we observe in the book of Acts is a remarkable level of power, which seems to be resting on the entire church, not just certain individuals. And we see the widespread healing of people who must have come from, with varying amounts of faith. Surely not every person lining the streets along Peter's path had great faith. What seems to be at work here and has emerged at times over the course of church history is an environment in which great power is present. And in that environment, all sorts of people are touched, even unbelievers, even bystanders. Do you see where, see where I'm going with this? We spend most of our time when we talk about healing and these things going after the idea of you've got to believe. And we press the individual and say, believe more. Believe more. Be, be strong. And then when someone dies or something doesn't happen, we all begin to intro, look intro, inward and say, well, I didn't have enough faith. What was wrong with me? I'm going to tell you my observation. I have seen situations where it appeared to me great faith and the person died. I've seen other situations where it appeared to me virtually nothing and they got healed. Have you seen any of that? You cannot just make that kind of evaluation. And what I want to put on the table, and what I think I see here, is that there is the, 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 the missing piece we're not looking at is power. There comes power in situations. And when the power of God is present, virtually bystanders get, bystanders get affected by it. I was such a person. In the, in the early uh, charismatic renewal, I was 1960, it was 1961, I'm a little boy... Very little. I'm, I'm 12. And I, and I'm, and I, get, I get taken to a, a meeting that I don't even want to go to. No one's preached anything to me, said anything to me. I just got bribed that if I would go, we would go someplace I liked on the way home. So I'm sitting there, just as sweetly as any 12-year-old would. But there was power in the room. And so no sooner does, does somebody start ministering in the spirit a little bit. I don't even know what, what it is. I have a clue. And it hits me. And I, I, I literally was, I was, call it what you want, slain in the spirit. I, I went out. I come to, and, I, and, the, and the power is all over me. My mouth's moving by itself. And I have been absolutely, my life has been changed right from there. I got all kinds of things to learn about the Lord. If you'd have put me in just any old room, you could put me in a lot of places and probably talk to me and, and, and do all kinds of things. And that wouldn't have happened. What happened is I happened to be in a place where the power of God was working. You can have church meetings where there's little or no power. You can have situations, sometimes very unlikely, in which there's a lot of power. I want you to see a reality that I think we overlook. On occasion, I've had people ask me after the death of a loved one, Pastor, what did I do wrong? They usually assume they didn't have enough faith. What I've said to some is, look, if we have to identify the failure, and I would rather not, I would say we as a church, myself included, lack the level of power needed. If we had developed to the point, and this is not criticism, this is not some sort of 
let's berate ourselves. Come on, people. The, the, the skills and the insights that those apostles had and passed on to the second generation were lost almost 2,000 years ago. It's not our fault that people walked away from these things and that those precious truths were not passed on to us and that they should have been all these generations. Do you see that? We should know how you do these things. We should, we should have a previous generation, that, a previous generation, the generation, the generation that passed these things on. We should be walking now in 2,000 years of experience. And we aren't. And so, you, so this is not some sort of let's be hard on ourselves. It's just the realities of things. So, so when you bring up even the subject of healing, even in a Pentecostal church, we have like, does he or doesn't he? And does he, it's only sometimes. And we have all this swirling thoughts because we're all coming from different things. They use, <clears throat> if we had developed to the point where a strong anointing was present, healing would come much more easily. I actually believe the power of God is growing. I think God is actually doing that all over. I think there's a, there's a stirring. Ours is a collective faith. Our Lord intended us to function with love for one another, in unity with a common purpose, and to believe together for his miracles. When we begin to think that way, then we realize that each one of us brings faith with us to our gatherings. I learn to prepare myself before we gather, because I know there's a, there is spiritual work to do when the church assembles. One of the things that must change in this generation, one of the, uh, that, that in life, if we're going to move in that, there has to be a change in the way I think about myself as a believer. We have in, in the Western culture a very consumer approach to church. We attend church to see what we get out of it. We go to get our needs met. We sit there almost like it's religious theater and hope they do something good. What you have with this early church is everybody thinking of themselves as vital and as part of an organic whole. When you come, you come prayed up. When you come to church, you know, you, you know that as the believers gathered, knowing what's going on in that temple mount, they're coming, prayed, believing, trusting. Everybody's a minister. Everybody's engaged. They're a community of people, all part of this. It changes it. I learned to prepare myself before we gather because I know there's spiritual work to do when the church assembles. We learn to tend our own heart because we understand the impact it has on others. In other words, I, I, when, when I harbor things, when I, when I grow bitter, I, I damage the church. It's not just myself. I'm very aware of that, by the way. I cannot allow bitterness to, to hold in my heart. I, if I've got an issue like that, I have got to work it out. Why? Because if I have bitterness, the, the grace of the Lord is, is, is hindered in me to a degree. And it hurts everybody else. So does yours. Not just mine. If I harbor sin, if I have some secret thing going, and, and every, every time I go to pray for somebody, every time I go to do anything, I've got this guilt issue that comes up, and I go, oh, man, he's not going to listen to me. Look at the way I live. It just cripples me, which cripples the church, and so does yours. So, so there, there comes a people, nobody's perfect, but we can walk in integrity, and we can see ourselves as, as, as contributing believers, we can understand that we walk in the door with the Holy Spirit inside us. 
that we walk in the door with a level of faith. We can stand and we can pray and we can move mountains together. That there is a power when we pray like that that's different than when I pray by myself. I mean, it's good when I pray by myself. Nobody's knocking it. Nobody's saying, you know, two or more. But wow, when the body of Christ begins to move, something is it's, it's strong. By being in the Spirit, I can help you, by my being in the Spirit, I can help you receive from God. I, I don't worship passively. I press in because this is an opportunity for the Spirit to come in power. In other words, the focus shifts from do you have enough faith to do we have enough power. I submit to you that when the power of God's moving, you can take really cantankerous unbelievers and, and sit them in a room and their heart will start softening. Not because the pre-sermon was good. Not because they, just the, the Holy Spirit's presence just begins to pierce the heart. I think I shared this, but I'll share it again. Mary and I were in Holland and we were at the dedication on a Saturday night of a new, uh, they'd redone an old used car building and it, it was just gorgeous. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. Just gorgeous what they had done in nine months. I, I don't know how they did it. And they had a, it was a 900-seat auditorium. And we were at the dedication service. Places packed, heavily young. I mean, and the young worship team, they had a flute, they had a violin, uh, they had steam. I mean, we rocked. And, 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 and they really worshiped. I mean, the place was just, it was beautiful to be in there. And they had invited at, the, at this dedication service uh, the, the Lord Mayor of, of that town, of that city. It's called Amersfoort. And uh, he had come. And uh, first, young man with, with a, one of those chains, you know, they wear that stuff in a metal and all. And he got up, and the first thing he said is, and I won't mention what it is, um, but he said, I'm a, and it wasn't, wasn't Foursquare, and he said, I'm a this, and then he said, I have my doubts about Christianity, you know. And then, and you could tell, he, he was cranky, and he was there, um, And, the, and the, his assignment then was to walk over to the wall and to pull the, the curtain off the, 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 the saying on the wall, uh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. <laughs> so he pulls that off. And then he goes, you know, he sits down. And they got him right in the front row, right, by the pastor. So he can't, he can't leave. And uh, I know how this works. After this, I couldn't see what was happening. We were several rows back, and we had a, a lovely old gentleman translating for us. So I, I would follow the whole thing. It was really cool. So he's translating for Mary and me, and, and, uh, and I couldn't see the Lord Mayor. But though I was praying for him, I'm thinking, Lord, get the guy. And um, <laughs> afterward, I'm outside, and, and the, a, a man came up who recognized me because, uh, from the conference. And then he, he started talking to me, and, and he said, I'm a cook. And he said, in fact, I cook for the Lord Mayor. And he said, now I've talked to him. And he said, he hates clapping and he hates hands in the air and he hates his whole thing. And he said, so I watched him real close. <laughs> and he said, uh, he clapped through the whole thing. And he said, and at one point, he said, he had his hands like, <laughs> here's the Lord Mayor, Pentecostal. 
Why? The Lord Mayor doesn't like religion. The Lord Mayor has all sorts of philosophical doubts about things. But get him in a room with power, and the power is there. Get him in a room with power, and the Lord Mayor is raising his hands. You see what I'm saying? There's, there's, the presence of God is a very, very real thing. It's not, it's not psychological. It's not emotional. Everybody knows it. Believer or non-believer, everyone senses God's here because he really is. I, I'm suggesting that if we begin to understand that, we understand our part in it, we begin to think that way and realize, God, we want your power. Come, I'll do whatever I can do. I'll take my place in this thing. We're going to believe together. When I worship, I'm not going to be passive. I'm going to sit and watch or criticize the music. I, I'm going to press in and going to lay hold of you, God. If not for me, for someone else. Who in the room needs healing? Who in the room is full of unbelief and fear? Who in the room is wounded and, and suffering? Who in the room is so depressed they could hardly get themselves here? And they need a touch of God today. And I have a part to play in that. As I press in, as I worship with all my heart, as I believe you, I have a part to play. Because the Holy Spirit rests upon us as a community. Not just individuals. A number of years ago, I, I went um, to a, a Benny Hinn healing conference here in Tacoma. I was invited by someone and went, and there must have been 25,000 people in, that, in the Tacoma Dome. And I, I, I watched, and I said, well, how does this work? You know, I, I knew of Benny Hinn, but I didn't know much about him. And I thought, how, what, what's, what's happening? What's happening here? Well, first of all, what I saw is they had a, a wonderful worship leader. And he really led us in worship. It was, it, was, it was excellent, but it wasn't showtime. It wasn't like, watch us up here, aren't we cool? It was, he really led us in worship and did it well. And, and we rose in worship. And there was powerful worship in that room. And, and they didn't just, you know, kind of get in and get out. They lingered. And while they lingered in worship, the power came. And, and what, I, what I noticed then is because is you're all in, you know, in your sections on the floors and all. They had, they had people walking around, who, who, and, and most of them old, and like couples. You look, and you can kind of tell. They're old Pentecostal pastors is what I saw. We, we have a look. And don't tell me what it is. I don't want to. But I watched them, and they would just walk and look. And just watching. And what were they watching for? I know perfectly well what they were watching for. They were watching for the power of God moving on individuals. And then as they, they, saw, they would see God working with someone, they'd wait a while. And then at some point when they felt they could, they would go up and approach the person and just say, would you step out here? And they would talk to them a minute and just, what, what did God just do? What is, what's happening with you? And then if they, they perceive a, a, a healing is taking place, they would walk them up. To the front and then that's when they would come and they would share their healing they testify to it or to, to with Benny Hinn I'm going to tell you what I saw I saw a valid model regardless of what you do your opinions one way or another that's a valid model what did he do and I realized oh this works this is real you worship till the power comes and then you watch what God is doing people we can do that do you see what i'm saying there's no reason we can't do that too i'm glad he is there's no reason we aren't 
we can do the same model. What are we learning? The problem is the skills and insights the apostles learned from Jesus were lost by the church nearly 2,000 years ago. And now we're left to try to rediscover them through trial and error. We know we still have a lot to learn, but because we have a sizable number of humble and faithful people who are willing to learn this way, God has been able to teach us some important lessons. Here are a few. Here's some of the things we've learned and we're learning now. Stay humble. Never stop learning. Number two, prepare yourself before praying. Alone and together, press into the Spirit through confession, praise, and worship. Don't just minister cold. One reason I stay after and pray for people after a service, why do you think? Because between the worship and the Word, I'm in the Spirit. Catch me Monday morning. You don't want me to pray for you Monday morning. You'll get worse. <laughs> you learn, actually, why do we open the altar? The Lord showed us to do that prophetically, by the way. That, that's not some gimmick or something we ever saw anybody else do. That was, a, that was a vision. I saw it. Why? He was basically saying, take advantage when, when, when the people of God are all gathered and worship and the anointing's there, for heaven's sakes, use it. Now, I say it, and I know it's a person, but the, the power of God is, 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 is real. When, when, that's, when the Lord's settling over you, when people are pressing in, don't pass that moment up. Open the altar. Let people come for prayer. Lay hands on people. Minister in that environment. You've got the power. Minister in it. Watch for his presence. Listen and watch for his direction in each ministry situation. You don't use a formula. You watch for what God is showing you with each person. Follow instructions. Lay on hands. Notice the phrase, the hands of the apostles in our passage. Don't use formulas. Discern the person's need. Pray with authority. You, you will move from begging and bargaining kinds of prayers. You'll move from emotional part of prayers. And those are so natural where you, you kind of beg God and you talk to God. And I'm, I don't make light of that. I know the pain it comes out of, but there's no power in it. You have to process through till you can stand and use authority. I was dealing something with something in my own life even last night. And, and, I, and I'm going through all of this discussions and philosophizing and I'm reading the Bible and everything else. And then finally God says, address it. And I realized I'm having this big argument and philosophical debate. And yet the issue is demonic. I don't have demons. I'm being assaulted. So I just said, in the name of Jesus. And I didn't say it real strong. I did it the best I could. In the name of Jesus, get out of here. And it left. What a remarkable thing. You use authority. How much discussion we have, how much philosophizing we have, how much debate we have when, when the Lord's asking us to use the authority he's given us. Be confident of God's desire to heal and deliver when you come to him through Jesus. We saw that lesson in, in Acts 3.16. They came to the Father through Jesus, through the cross, through the blood. In other words, that's how they appeal. They stand before the Father in the blood of Christ, in his righteousness, and have every right to ask for his power and grace because of Jesus, not themselves. Before you pray, work through the issue of is healing this, per healing this person God's will. If, if you really aren't sure, it, it, it isn't the place while you're praying to discuss it. 
Focus on receiving from him, not on trying to convince him to heal. Watch for the spirit working on that person. Don't be in a hurry. Give him time to minister. We often pray a prayer and then move on. And you just need to soak in the Lord's presence. When, when possible, minister as a team. One person gets one thing and another gets another. You'll find that God will give you one insight and someone else something to pray and, 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 and as a team. He loves this idea of the body. He, he ministers different things through different people. The other day, um, uh, one of my grandchildren was ill and uh, I, I really felt prompted, go and pray for her. And, and um, I, I, Mary and I went and... and uh, her uh, mom and dad were there and, and her aunt was there. And, and we just, let's gather and just begin to pray for this little one and, and uh, waited on the Lord. Lord's presence came. I, I prayed my, my prayer. And, but each person had something different. Um, her aunt actually had a word of knowledge about a particular aspect of her body and prayed specifically about that. Somebody else prayed something else, and she was healed. It becomes, very, it becomes a, an organic thing. It becomes this, a, a natural, beautiful, and part of life thing. You see where I'm going? It's, but notice we gathered. It was just a simple family gathering. It didn't take all that long. I don't suppose we took more than 10 minutes. Just praying for a little one. Power, waiting for the power. Doing what the Lord says. Laying hands. And we have a healing. Isn't that beautiful? We all can do this. This is for all of us. This is part of all of our lives. This is the way they lived. That's the way we can live. This passage calls us to change the way we think about ourselves. To realize how much we need each other. And how much we can do when we minister together. It calls each of us to recognize the contribution we can make. And that we should take ourselves seriously as ministers of his power. That means all of us. And it reminds us his power goes with us every time we walk back into the world. We're not alone anymore. We're part of something bigger than ourselves. His hand is on all of us. His power rests on the whole community of his people, on his kingdom. As the power of the Lord comes on us as a people. He functions with people as families. Spiritual families. Church. Physical families. And he rests on that people. And so when you and I go out into the world. We carry him with us. We carry his power with us. We carry the grace that's on the family with us. Would you stand with me? So the word presses us forward a little bit, doesn't it? It says, no matter what's happened, no matter what your experience is, would you be willing to let me draw you farther? Would you be willing to press forward because I have more power for you? I have more that I will do. More who will be healed and delivered. Not that you've earned anything but that you've allowed me. You've opened the door. You've, you've removed obstacles. You've let me do what is normal Christianity. See, that's my view. I think we're seeing normal Christianity, not just a special work of God, 
normal Christianity. Do you agree? Yes. Father, we, we come before you as a family. We come before you in faith. Jesus, the word of God challenges us and stretches us and says, look, 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 there's more. There's much more that I can do if you each one and you together will let me draw you forward. Lord, I don't doubt, and I, 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 I personally very much understand the pain that this can arouse. Like, oh man, don't get me hoping again. And yet, Lord, when the word calls us to something, we put down our own issues, and we say, yes, sir, we'll follow you. Your ways are right, even when we don't understand. What you want to do with us is, is the right thing. So, Lord, give us such faith. Give us such love. Help us think of ourselves as empowered men and women of God. Help us think of us as a people, as a gathering in which the power of the Lord comes and ministers, touches lives, saving, healing, delivering, restoring. Lord, we, 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 there's so much work to be done. Grace us to be a people you can work through in power. In Jesus' powerful name, if you, if you agree with that, if you uh, believe that, would you say, yes, Lord? Yes. One second. I, I just need to ask a question, apparently. Anyone here, you need to say yes to Jesus? Maybe you've not. Maybe you are coming back. I don't know what it is, but I just feel I can't close without giving an invitation. I just need to ask, and what I'm going to ask is if you're saying, I am re I'm confessing Jesus Christ, my Savior. He died on the cross for me. I believe that today, and I am also bowing my knee to him and surrendering to him as my Lord. I am trusting him to wash my sins. I'm trusting all the things you've said today, that those are for me too through Christ. I believe that. I just feel I need to open that a moment, if that's you, would you raise your hand? I'll simply agree with you right there. But I, I need to let someone respond right now. Yes, praise God. Yes, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Anyone else? Yes, hallelujah. Thank you, Savior. The Lord knew you're here and knew that something is being done in your heart right now. And I was about to bless you and he said, you can't stop till you've asked. Yes, I see that hand. Holy Spirit, anyone else? Anyone else? Just touch the heart right now. What you're doing is, yes. Yes, see your hand. Praise God. I agree with you. I agree with each one of you who've raised your hands. Now, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. If you've raised your hands, this may be something you've prayed before and you're reconfessing it. It may be something that you are praying for the first time. But this is essentially what we must do to walk righteously before God. So here we go. Heavenly Father, everybody pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. This day, I bow my knee. I trust you, Jesus. Your love, your holiness, your goodness. You are faithful. And so I put my hand in yours. And I give up control. And I will follow you. And live for you. All the days of my life. As you give me the power to do so. You are my Lord. 
Jesus Christ, you died on the cross for me. I have sinned. There is independence in me. There's rebellion in me. There's selfishness in me. I acknowledge it. I want rid of it. But you paid for my sins. Because of you, I am washed clean, totally forgiven. And I am now a holy temple. And I receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And I say, Holy Spirit, come inside me now. If you're praying this prayer, uh, again, one word, but you raised your hand or anyone, put your hand, would you mind, mind on your chest for a minute? Holy Spirit, come in. Just pray that. Dwell in me with all your fullness. I believe in rivers of living water. Out of my innermost being, come rivers of living water. The power of God. From this day forward, I am a holy temple, cleansed, full of the power of God. I will never be without the Spirit of God. He will comfort me, strengthen me, heal me, guide me. He will dwell with me forever. I receive Him now and welcome Him into my heart. My Savior, my Lord, the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. I love you, Jesus, with all my heart. In your name I pray these things. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.